<laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed about it at all. It's a great place to walk. I don't think you should be. I don't think you should be. Uh, are you ready to get in the show? Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. This is a fasting question. Does a seven-day water fast, if done once a year, significantly reduce your risk of cancer? Would a seven-day water fast need to be supervised by a physician? I don't know if it reduces your risk of cancer. Um, you know, I don't know. If it, I haven't read any studies uh, of that nature. I know, um, you know, cancer really loves sugar. Um, so theoretically, you know, you're not burning uh, glucose. You're going to be ketogenic there. So maybe... Um, I just don't haven't seen any studies on a seven day water fast. If you can do it that long, um, you know, it's I'm all for it. Yes, it does need to be supervised because after about the five day mark, four or five days, you, you need to watch your electrolytes. You can get into some problems with your potassium and sodium. You could theoretically have some arrhythmias and things. So that probably ought to be monitored, at least coming in and getting some electrolytes done on about day five, if you, if you do it, but you know, nobody would do that without kind of working their way up to that. I don't think, you know, by taking some shorter fast and then lengthen it out. Um, so if you do that and you tolerate the shorter ones, like a two day, maybe a three or four day and you want to go for it, then, you know, probably be fine. But, um, but yeah, supervised by a physician who can check some blood work, and also, you know, probably more preventive for reducing risk of cancer and almost everything else would be just to eat a great diet um, most every day and do intermittent fasting. You know, you don't have to really take it to extremes, I don't think. Sometimes if you take things to extremes, your body treats it kind of like a crisis. And a lot of times that will precipitate other things like lowered immunity and things. Mm. So if you do that... I'm not against it, but work your way up um, and see. But do all the other stuff that reduces your risk of cancer, like don't get fat. Um, you know, make sure you take your vitamin D and maybe even garlic supplements. I talked to a patient today about how great garlic supplements are and get your sleep, exercise, do all the other stuff that prevents cancer. Um, eat organic and, um, do uh, infrared sauna, um, kind of the practical stuff. But so I'm not against it, but I wouldn't go claiming that it, you know it's going to significantly reduce your risk of cancer. Great question. I, I like that about not going to to extremes. Um, and is there a scenario where you would do a seven day water fast? Is there like um, is there a situation where you would recommend that or, or is that, um, yeah. Say like you were marooned on a desert Island and all you had was water, your, your boat wrecked and you, you swam ashore on that Island and it's just you there and you had some water that then that's when I would do it. But, uh, <laughs> kind of kidding, but, uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't blame people for that. You know, if they had, did have, you know, a mild form of, cancer or you know they they kind of wanted to starve it out um i'm not against that at all but um you know like i say it, it could 
be beneficial. It could be harmful. So if you want to do that, work your way up there. I know there's some clinics in, in different countries that you can go to that, um, that you can do this even for 30 days, but they're inpatient being getting all kinds of blood work and all this. And, um, so you you could definitely go longer than that, but, uh, you'd have to really do it under the hands of people that are really qualified to monitor you. Great question though. Super interesting. Super interesting. Thank you for that question. Uh, we've got a couple migraine questions tonight. Um, I've had migraines all my life. At this point, they have been diagnosed as cervicogenic. I tried Botox shots two months ago, and things are so much worse uh, than migraines ever were. Um, goes on to say, constant pain in neck and shoulders. I can't get an answer as to why or what to do. What are your thoughts? Thank you. So it seems uh, the migraines got worse after the Botox is what I'm... Yeah, it sounds like it's coming from your neck. Hopefully you've had a workup with the MRI of your neck and, and, and see really what's going on. If you have some facet joint problems or, um, you know, maybe triggering a atypical migraine. I don't know if you've tried what you've tried, but, um, it seems to me that, um, I probably wouldn't get any more Botox shots in, in the neck. Sometimes Botox really helps migraines, but, maybe not sometimes you know when you put that much botox in the neck area you know you you can't control your neck you're going to be really limp in your neck and i can see where that may make it worse you may have to get if that's the case get a neck brace and and wear that see a good physical therapist somebody like ernie um and maybe some traction may help um maybe some facet joint injections uh through a qualified um interventionalist uh if it's really bad um acupuncture dry needling um it's just it's hard to say without looking at you my best guess would be to see somebody like ernie and and do something kind of like that or maybe a little traction and uh dry needling and some things like that that may really help you because it looks like medicines are not helping you. The typical, uh, you know, newer migraine medicines like um, Nurtec and Ubrel-V. Um, although if your insurance doesn't cover that, I had a patient day I'd put on Nurtec. It was going to cost them a bundle because their insurance wouldn't cover it. Mm. I'm talking about over a thousand dollars worth. So, um, you know, I always try to get a sample of something like that. I have samples at the office you could try of both those um, for migraines. And sometimes they work wonders, but it seems like a lot of your problem is uh, uh, derived from uh, your neck. So it'd be really interesting to see what's going on in there and uh, get to somebody, even maybe a physiatrist who specializes in um it's almost physiatrists are almost like they're medical doctors, but they specialize in, in uh, physical therapy and modalities that will um, help pain. Um, they do a lot of pain uh, medicine. So you may want to seek one of those out as well. Um, they can do the injections that are in your 
spine under the guidance of a, a live x-ray. Um, but you have to get somebody pretty experienced in that. That is, I'm sorry the Botox didn't work for you. I don't know, you know how much they put in or you know where they put it, but um, obviously be hesitant about getting that again because but it'll wear off. The thing about it, it takes about three to four months to wear off, but it gets it'll get better as far as that goes. Um, but uh, maybe see a, a physical therapist that's well versed in treating that kind of thing. All right. Thank you for that. Let's go to another migraine question. I suffer from ocular migraines and have read magnesium can help reduce the number of episodes. Question is, do you have any recommendations on which type and the dosage or any other supplements that might work better? Any other advice for managing these is greatly appreciated. So this is about yeah. ocular migraines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, again, you could try Nurtec or Ubrelvi, which virtually has hardly any side effects that I see in contrast to the triptans that we, that work too, but not as well. And they can cause tachycardia, things like Maxalt and Imitrex. So you might try that. Um, but yeah, I think magnesium is great for, for headaches. I, I prefer, you know, if you're constipated, take mag magnesium citrate. If you're, you're have, if you have a migraine, I like magnesium glycinate or magnesium threonate and anywhere from, 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams is usual dose. Take it at night. Um, but yeah, I think magnesium is a great, almost all adults are deficient anyway. I put almost everybody on magnesium at night that's an adult. Um, so look at, you know, of course, triggers. There can be different triggers. Could, even ocular uh, migraines can have a trigger by hormones or stress or lack of sleep, maybe some foods. Um, smells, toxins. Um, I love the infrared sauna that I keep talking about for detox on any of this stuff. So get a migraine headache diary and take that and see if there's a trigger. Certainly take uh, the neuromagnesium, which I like a lot, and um, try some of the other stuff as well and see if you can find out what's causing it. Does it come at one particular time of the month? Um, if you're female and that, that type of thing, hormones are, are big in that, hmm. um, nutrition's big with that. Um, great question. We get a lot of headache questions. No, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and I know that, you know, a lot of people suffer from, from migraines and, um, so, so thank you for, for putting that question in there. Um, let's go to a, uh, seems like an arthritis question. Um, what would be recommended for patella femoral compression syndrome and osteoarthritis of the knees? I currently am taking glucosamine, turmeric, and collagen. And it goes on to say, however, I'm still experiencing knee pain and stiffness. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, first of all, if you have patella femoral compression syndrome, see a guy like Ernie, a good physical therapist that does a lot of knee stuff. Um, look at the x-rays bring them up to him and let him look at them. I don't know if you have both knees, it looks like it or just one knees worse, but, um, those are certainly some pretty good supplements that you're taking. Um, you know, I, I love turmeric. That's my favorite. Um, one of my all time favorite supplements. I certainly take it twice a day 
um, because I have arthritis in my back, my low, lower back. Um, glucosamine may or may not help. Collagen is always good. I'm not sure it's going to help your arthritis so much. Um, I like CBD is really good for that condition. Um, you can put the cream on that may help you. Um, you may even need a prescription anti-inflammatory like uh, Mobic is probably my favorite. It's once a day. It doesn't upset your stomach much at all um, when you need it. Um, but, you know, so, you know, may, may be able to, you know, do PRP injections to that as well. You know, as you know, I had my both my knees injected with platelet-rich plasma in the last month or so, and it really, really is helping my knees. Um, so see a good physical therapist. Make sure you've had some x-rays, just some plain x-rays to look at it. See, see how much arthritis, how much joint space you have. Uh, consider adding a non-steroidal. Um, you can up your dose of turmeric probably more than you're taking. MSM. I think it's another supplement that I like better than glucosamine. I think it works better. Um, and try some of the local stuff as well. Uh, consider PRP. I don't know if you had a steroid injection. Sometimes it takes one of those to kind of calm it down, followed by PRP later. So I uh, hope that helps you because if you're hurting all the time, something needs to be done for that. That's a great question. Uh, great answer, Doc. Thank you for that. Um, I want to go to a, uh, a question here about DEXA. Um, I heard Dr. Andrew Huberman talk about the DEXA being used for total body composition testing, not just bone density. I've never had any other info on my DEXA results besides bone density. It goes on to say, is that a specific DEXA that you have to request to also get the other BMI info, and I'll put I'll put this back up there. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I love Dr. Huberman. You know, I listen to him all the time. He's a, a biophysicist and ophthalmologist out at Stanford. He did he some great podcasts on a lot of stuff. Talks a lot about the brain, sleep. And it's true. Yeah, DEXA scan is a great way to to measure your, you know, not just your bone density, but your percent muscle and fat. The problem is you're going to have to have a specialized one. The, the, you know, they're not going to be included on a regular one. Um, I'm, I'm actually trying to find a place around here that will do that for me because it's um, really the best way to look at your uh, body composition is a DEXA scan. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of working on a, a couple of places to see if they'll, they'll read those out too. The problem with it is people get a DEXA scan, their insurance pays for it. They're not going to pay for the other information. So, uh, it's probably going to be one of those things that's going to be a cash only thing, but it'd certainly be worth it. It's a great way to measure your body composition, no doubt about it. Probably the best way. All right. Thank you for that question and prompting that. Um, let's go to um, a, this is a lab on, on the Cleveland Heart Panel that we talk a lot about. Um, please talk about the APOB gene a little bit. I don't think it is on my Cleveland, but this week I heard someone call it the causative agent of atherosclerosis. Yeah, um, which means clogging of your arteries, plaque. Um, yeah, if you listen to uh, 
Dr. Peter Atelier, another great podcaster. As a matter of fact, Huberman and Atelier podcast a lot together. They're both geniuses. They're both at it. Stanford and they're Mayo trained. They're just amazing um, longevity experts. But um, the ApoB is really not a gene per se. It's really a measure of the, what your LDL cholesterol particle size is. So, you know, you want the ApoA is a better distribution on your LDL than uh, the ApoB. The, think B is bad on that. So um, it doesn't come with all the Clevelands, but you can request it. It depends on what kind of insurance you, you have. But yeah, I mean, like Atelia thinks it's the most important thing on a lipid panel is your ApoB. Uh, but there's a lot of other little things that, that we look at, like LP little a and um, TMAO, homocysteine, uh, all your inflammatory markers. And of course, you probably ought to get a CT calcium to look and see what your heart score is. But it is important. I mean, APOB, if you do your research, there's a lot of evidence that if you have that APOB type of LDL pattern, then uh, it is uh, maybe the major risk factor for atherosclerosis and heart disease. So great question. Yeah, do your research on the APOB gene, and we can order it. You know, your, your Cleveland, depending on your insurance, may not pay for it, but you can certainly get it checked there. So we can definitely order that. Great question about the APOB gene. Um, and this is another uh, Cleveland question. Um, if positive for the MTHFR mutation on Cleveland, on the Cleveland heart panel, what does that mean? Is that something that only needs to be tested once in your lifetime as opposed to every year? Yeah, I mean, you only need it checked once. It's not going to change. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's on the Cleveland panel. And a lot of people are positive for it, but it depends on what kind of positive and whether you have one or two gene mutations. You know, the one you don't want to have is one I have two copies of uh, called the 677TT genotype. Um, and that genotype is, um, means you have a methylation defect. It's kind of hard to explain because it, it takes a really deep dive on, um, on your genetics and what in methylation, but basically, uh, the root cause of that problem is you, you have a hard time attaching a methyl group to certain proteins. You really you have a hard time turning homocysteine, which is an inflammatory amino acid, into methionine, which is a real beneficial thing to have for a lot of reasons. So um, it, when you have that double gene mutation of the 677TT, that means that you can't turn folic acid into methylfolate, the uh, active form of vitamin B9. It's so helpful for a ton of stuff. So what you do is um, you have to take methylated genes. Like I take a methyl B12, not cyanocobalamin, methylcobalamin. And I take um, something called TMG, trimethylglycine. And I take methylated folate and look at my homocysteine levels to see what kind of results I'm having. Mm. Also, you should probably, at a certain age, take a, an 81 milligram aspirin because it, it can predispose you to clotting and miscarriages and everything else if you have that 677TT gene. Now, if you have the 1298C, then it's not so bad. 
that that gene is more associated with anxiety and depression and, and that sort of thing. So it means different things depending on what your specific uh, mutations are, but they're very common. I mean, you know, most of the people I see have at least one mutation on that MTHFR. And I, I, I'll tell them, you need to worry about this or you don't. So it's really interesting and, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a risk factor for some people and should be checked once and keep, keep an eye on that homocysteine. It's probably as important as what your cholesterol is uh, for risk factors. So on the MTHFR um, line in a Cleveland heart panel, are you saying that there's, there's like sub levels to it? Yeah. Yeah. There, it's, it's, there's several things you need. There's different kind of mutations to that gene. Oh, okay. To that methylation cycle. So it literally is kind of takes a deep dive. I mean, it took me a while to really understand it and make it practical, but yeah, definitely come in and we'll look at your particular mutation, look at your homocysteine level and do everything we can to make sure that your risk are balanced out as normal and not increased based on a gene mutation. Um, you know, genes are going to be so important in the future of medicine because we're going to be able to predict what you may come down with and maybe attenuate it early on before you get it. Super Great question, cool. though. Thank you so much for that question on the MTHFR gene. Um, man, you really can. There, you, you can go deep on that one gene. I had no idea. Um, that's cool. Oh, it's, you could spend two years studying that gene. Still not understand. That's wild. Um, I think I did. Um, okay, uh, let's get to this question that came from Instagram. Thank you for all our Instagram people in here. Um, is there an effective treatment for chronic fatigue syndrome? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of treatments for chronic fatigue syndrome. you got to try to figure out where it's coming from. Um, a lot of times it's mixed with uh, fibromyalgia. I had a patient like this today. Um, so, yeah, so try to find the root cause of it. Did you have Epstein-Barr virus? Did you have Lyme disease? Did you have any kind of chronic infection? Uh, how's your gut functioning? Um, you know, do you have vitamin deficiencies? Uh, do you have stressors? Uh, a lot of times with the chronic fatigue or fibro, they also have a lot of uh, psychological imbalances that you need to deal with. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of treatments for it from, you know, allopathic treatments to, uh, alternative treatments. You know, we do a lot of, um, IV cocktails for this intravenous, uh, uh, infusions that seem to help it. Um, and there's all kinds, there's medicines for this. I mean, you may have a CoQ10 deficiency, you may need PQQ, but it, again, it, there's no one easy answer to you know, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, you know, I was, I was at a, years ago, I was at a, a conference and medical conference, traditional medical conference, and uh, had a famous rheumatologist from Stanford. And he was talking about all the rheumatologic diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, all these. And, and then he came to the subject of, fibromyalgia, which is always, almost always associated with chronic fatigue. You just hurt at different points in your muscles. And uh, he said, now, 
there is an effective treatment for fibromyalgia. And you can see all these doctors really perking up and getting their pens to write this down. And uh, he ended up saying, there's only one real treatment for it. And uh, he goes, exercise. Huh. <laughs> so there's a lot of disappointed doctors in thinking, <laughs> what drug are they going to use for this? So I exercise. Had, I had no idea. That's super cool. Um, all right. Thank you for, for that question on Instagram. I'm going to get to the next one here. Um, also from Instagram. Um, what is the best treatment for chronic sinusitis? Well, you know, um, need to determine if it's allergic in nature. It may be infectious. It may be fungal. Um, you know, uh, so there's no best treatment for it. One thing I would do is do neti pot uh, saline, sterile saline irrigations. I think that may be the best treatment for it. And you can also take some antihistamines. You can use something like Flonase. That's a nasal steroid that, um, I use it every fall and sometimes in the spring when my allergies act up, uh, but definitely the neti pot treatments, um, make sure your gut's okay too. The gut, if your gut's good, then your sinus is usually going to be pretty good too. Um, you may need some antibiotics. You may need a steroid. Um, you know, I, I like coilodal silver for that. If you're looking for, you know, an alternative treatment, um, you know, some people use, uh, nasal inhalation treatments with uh, budesonide and some things like that. Um, but maybe even, uh, nasal, um, nebulizer uh, with hydrogen peroxide some people claim that works i've never used it but uh, you can certainly read about it so uh, you may need to get an x-ray of your sinuses to make sure they're not totally blocked off and that you need a, a window created by an ent physician that can open it up for drainage um, so there's a lot of things uh, but try to find out what's causing it first and one thing I will add is um, nasal breathing. So actually breathing through it um, is really mm -hmm. helpful. Um, our good friend, uh, Zach Kramer, uh, is a breathing coach, and he does some work with us. And uh, we've had him on the show a couple times. And um, he turned me on to nasal breathing. And um, and I used to have, you know, bad, I don't know if it was sinusitis, but was would uh, always be kind of sniffly and, and, uh, breathing through it really helps. So like going for walks and only breathing through your nose and doing some breath holds, yeah. um, is kind of an easy, an easy little thing you can do. Um, that might help. It helped me a lot. That's a great point. Yeah. Your, your nasal mucosa has a lot of receptors, uh, to release, uh, nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator. Very beneficial. Great point. Nasal breathing is the way to go, especially if you're a mouth breather at night. It may predispose you to chronic sinusitis. Mm -hmm. um, it's really interesting. Uh, your facial structure may have a lot to do with that. Uh, a lot of these kids that are, you know, they're getting this thing, a lot of it's because of malocclusion of their teeth. It's um, so fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting uh, facial development, all these nasal bones. If they don't develop right, you're going to be 
having a lot of chronic problems with your sinuses as you grow up. Um, All right. Well, let's let, let's move on to our last question here, guys. And what we're going to do is we're going to head to the comments here shortly, and we're going to take live questions. I see uh, Jasmine Almond's in here, our esthetician in the Knoxville office. So glad to have you in hey, here. Jasmine. Uh, with a great question about uh, hyperpigmentation and hormone therapy. Thank you for that. Um, so we're going to get these live questions here shortly. I see Carol's question. Um, but I, I got one here that I'm going to read from from uh, my email that I, I really think is going to, um, I think a lot of people are going to relate to this. And uh, we've, we've recently talked about Hashimoto's. And um, so we're starting to get questions um, from people who have Hashimoto's and have kids who are showing antibodies. So I'm just going to do a, read a little bit from the email, um, a little summary here, and then, Doc, I'll let you talk a little bit about uh, Hashimoto's with kids. Um, but the, uh, the meat of the email is saying, I've had Hashimoto's for seven-plus years now and have made adjustments and am doing all right. I could be doing better, but the point of this question is that almost two years ago, my then barely six-year-old daughter had blood work done that revealed absolutely insanely high antibodies. Um, so I'm assuming uh, what she's talking about is uh, TSH, uh, TPO antibodies. Um, her pediatrician and also pediatric endocrinologists are basically saying, uh, oh, well, she'll grow up and need medications. Best of luck. Um, and let us know if she has more symptoms. Um, I don't want to do, uh, I, w I don't want to do nothing. So as of this year, she has been gluten and dairy free with me. Um, I can't tell a difference. And I also can't tell if I help cure her Hashimoto's before it starts attacking her thyroid. Um, the ending here is I love, uh, I, I've read what Dr. Roger said, but I really need someone who can work with children or speak uh, about this sort of things, uh, with kids or to me. So kind of what's your thoughts on this? What are some guidance you could give, um, uh, this listener here around how to how to um, go about Hashimoto's or prevention of Hashimoto's in a uh, in a child in their child. Yeah, um, I have a niece that has Hashimoto's, and uh, you know it runs in the family. There's certainly a genetic component to it, and kind of like type one diabetes. You know, we have two kids with type one, and there's a genetic predisposition for that there's even a gene you can test for to see if you're going to come down with type 1 diabetes and if you do if you are positive for those antibodies then you need to do everything you can to prevent it like what you may be able to do for years maybe forever who knows but like very great diet the best thing you can do is eat a great uh, autoimmune diet which means just like a diet diabetic would do no sugar um and you know avoid the things like you're already doing like glutens and dairy and you know make sure she's on a good probiotic uh for her gut make sure she doesn't have a lot of gut problems that's that's where it's going to be triggered if it is um so make sure she has good pre and probiotics avoid the the inflammatory foods like dairy, gluten, soy, corn, maybe nightshade vegetables. Uh, you know, you could even consider getting some food sensitivity uh, testing done. Um, and also make sure her multivitamin has a little bit of zinc and selenium in it. And just keep monitoring things. You might, you know, it could be your TPO antibodies are high or, or antithyroglobulin antibodies are high or, or 
if they may be high, there's two sets of them. So, you know, hopefully be able to avoid it, put it off at least. It's, it's hard to really say, um, you know, but I wouldn't think, hey, she's going to come down with Hashimoto's um, necessarily. Uh, but if, if she does, you can, it can certainly be treated. Um, you know, and the treatment's not going to be that difficult like it is in type one diabetes. Um, you know, they're both autoimmune diseases. You know, she's kind of young, you know, a lot of times, um, depending on the situation, we use a lot of low dose naltrexone for different things. I've never really used it for prevention of Hashimoto's in a kid with positive antibodies. I've done it in adults. So that's something you could explore a little bit. Um, I don't think most people use it under age 10. I'd keep monitoring the antibodies and monitoring her gut, making sure that she has good gut health, gets plenty of sleep, um, you know, but keep an eye on things. Uh, make sure she got, has a good multivitamin um, and the stuff you'd want to do anyway, clean, organic uh, foods and <clears throat> as least stressful as a life as you can, because a lot of times stress can trigger an autoimmune disease. I'm convinced of that. Um, you know, and, and talk to your pediatrician again. If they if they just won't listen to you, you might want to, you know, do your own research on something like that. And certainly, you know, we'll be glad to take a look and maybe monitor things um, for you and, and kind of see. But probably get your other children tested as well just to see. Uh, can those numbers go down? Out of curiosity, yeah, those sure, sure. okay, uh -huh. okay. So those so when you say man, look at those numbers, they can uh, they can go down and decrease, yeah. which I'm assuming would would kind of lead that you're uh, that would kind of be a signal that you're on the right path. Um, yeah, with us through diet. I monitor the antibodies in people that have Hashimoto's. In my patients, um, a lot of times when I do put them on LDN, they go way down. Um, there's been a lot of studies with LDN in kids with Crohn's disease, another autoimmune disease. It's, bad um you know but uh and it's been helpful in reducing those antibodies so that's something she needs to live a very healthy lifestyle look at gut function make sure her she her vitamin d level is good and and all and um do those things and just monitor it i hope she doesn't get it there's a good chance she put it off hopefully forever um, well, I, I know a lot of people are in similar situations. So thank you for, uh, that was through email. Thank you for. And, and it's, it's not a bad out. idea to even see a, a geneticist at times to do some, some gene testing. They can do some amazing things. It's just not, you know, cared for much or, you know, in the, the traditional medical, uh, doctor population that we send people for genetic testing, but, and usually need to do that to university. I usually send them University of Tennessee genetic clinic and let them do some testing and, and some other things because, you know, one autoimmune disease predisposes you to get another one. So you might want to consult uh, the genetics department at a major university uh, just, for, just for a few tests and see uh, what they what they tell you. Great stuff. Great question. I know a lot of people are thinking the same thing. So thank you for 
uh, for shooting that in there for that question. Um, Doc, thank you for that answer. Um, what we're going to do, guys, that does it for the questions that came in throughout the week. Um, we're going to get to the comments here. We're taking live questions uh, for the remainder of the show. Uh, put your question in the comment, and we're going to get to uh, hopefully all of them. Um, let's see here. Where are we? Where are we? Let's go to Carol's. Um, Carol is asking, is there a particular garlic supplement that you recommend and how much? Gosh, I wish I had my garlic bottle down here. Uh, I got mine over at Max Medicine Mark, so I, I don't know the name of it, and I don't know the dose of it. I'll find it for you. Um, what, what, but, we'll, what we'll do, Carol, is we'll, we'll, um, when we get this garlic supplement, we will put it in the comments, if not uh, get to it live here tonight. Uh, so we'll get back to that, Carol. Um, Carol is uh, another Carol is asking, can PRP be used for shoulders? Thank you, Carol. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What um, would you inject sure it for the shoulder? Would you, would you do it like right on top? No, usually it depends on where the problem is. I mean, you know, usually we inject uh, posteriorly, but it just depends on if it's a, a joint problem or maybe bursitis or biceps tendonitis, uh, maybe a scapular problem. So, um, you know, you need to, to check it out and see, um, you know, uh, our PA that works in our Bristol clinic does a lot of PRP. She's had 20 years of orthopedic uh, work and she's really good with injections. She's the one injected both my knees and um, she'd be a good one to kind of look at it and see if you're a candidate and, you know, if you have any x-rays done, certainly bring results of those in and, uh, let's get to the problem. But yeah, you sure can shoot it in any joint or tendon ligament. And it's really useful. Uh, thank you for that, Carol. Let's get to, uh, to Jasmine, our esthetician in Knoxville is asking, hey, uh, have we ever treated melasma hyperpigmentation with, hormone therapy bhrt yeah i mean um yeah we do we, we just look at all the hormone levels and see where they may be deficient um i haven't used really any creams that uh hormone creams directly on the melasma but um there's certainly treatments and jasmine does a lot of great treatments herself with all this kind of stuff um you know better than i do what would work uh, topically um, whether it's lasers or, you know, topicals. Um, but yeah, I always like to look at the, to see if there's estrogen dominance or what's going on with your hormones, uh, that could be causing some of this, you know, most of the time women get this after pregnancy, maybe during pregnancy, because there's a lot of hormonal changes and progesterone maybe, uh, the dominant factor there. I don't know, but, uh, certainly we like to look at the hormone levels and see where they are. You know, are they on the birth control pill? Um, you know, what else is going on with some of the other, uh, hormonal levels like their cortisol, their thyroid, their insulin levels, because it can all really be interrelated. Um, so that's a great question and yeah, um, have them be evaluated at least. And then, do your thing because you, you, you're amazing what you, you're able to do with people's faces. All right, Jasmine, thank you for, for putting in that question. 
Um, I'm going to get to this question here. This is about uh, cholesterol, it looks like. Um, what's your opinion on higher cholesterol, 289 mg over DL, normal triglyceride, normal HDL, high LDL, which is 229.4 mg per DL, uh, but blood glu- sorry, blood glucose of CRP of less than 0.40 mg over DL and blood cu- glucose of only 8.1 mg over DL and super low ESR. Question is, uh, should I worry about the high cholesterol with low inflammatory markers? Well, it's certainly better to have low inflammatory markers. Uh, you want that. Um, but you probably have, um, you know, familial inherited hypercholesterolemia. Um, you know, it'd be a good idea to, to get a Cleveland and to break it down and to check your APOB, you know, particle size, LP, little a. You need to carry it a little bit further and look at your other risk factors to determine whether or not you need a medicine to help lower that. You know, I don't throw a statin on everybody with a high cholesterol. Depends on the risk factors and the breakdown of the particle size and their APOB. Um, so um, it sounds like everything's normal except your cholesterol and you've got LDL, you know, the quote bad cholesterol, but you need to look at particle size. Other risk factors, obviously you're not a diabetic and you're, um, you have low inflammatory markers. One that you didn't mention that I do like to check on the Cleveland a heart panel is oxidized LDL. If you have a high amount of oxidized LDL, uh, get a little more aggressive with it, depending on your risk factors, depending on what the result of your CT calcium is. So I'll look into it a little bit deeper than just that high cholesterol that you have. Um, Cause that may not be um, as bad as you think it is. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to make sure we uh, bring the most value here. Uh, they're saying the LPA is like 23, so super low. Does that help, help you? Any? Yeah, that's an inherited form of uh, hypercholesterolemia. So that's good that that uh, that that's low. So uh, we'll have to, you know, have to break it down a little further and look at your other risk factors and um, see. Because I don't like I don't like to just indiscriminately throw people on a statin. You know, we definitely get that down. Um, through a statin use. Not sometimes we'll use statins. I'm not totally against them for some people. If you have heart disease or I'm worried about you getting heart disease, and sometimes I'll use a really low dose Crestor, which seems to be very well tolerated by some people. But, you know, half the people that have heart attacks have a totally normal cholesterol. Hmm. So um, you got to look at the other risk factors as well. Uh, but that's a great question. Uh, thank you I so much. I see this every day in my clinic every day. Uh, thank you so much for that. If you want to, uh, look into the Cleveland heart there, I think is it, is it only through quest labs, uh, the Cleveland? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's through quest, which is all over the country. Um, you can find us the Cleveland heart panel. We've done some in-depth videos on the Cleveland and what, what it all covers, uh, when he's talking about particle size, etc. Uh, that's on the, the YouTube channel, uh, just search performance medicine and Cleveland heart panel. It, it should come up. Um, all right. It, it looks like we're uh, like we've gotten to all the questions here uh, with everybody live. Uh, man, I tell you what, I I really appreciate y'all hanging out with us uh, on these Tuesday evenings at seven. Um, we we love hanging out and 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 answering these health and wellness questions. 
uh, I, I guess last question for the for the day, Pop, is uh, are we going to see Dr. Ike tonight or not? Just let us down easy if he's oh, not. Oh, man. I don't know if Ike's around or not. <laughs> Ike? Ike? <laughs> um, but, yeah, Ike went to his first training session tonight, so obedience school. No way. What are you doing? Yeah. Actually, he was the star of the show. Um, <laughs> what's what's he? What's, said he really was was really um, was really good. She was he was out of eight dogs. He was the outstanding dog on his first time. So he learned a few things to do, like sit and you know not not get distracted too much. Um, you need to say a little prayer for I. He's going in for a minor surgery tomorrow. Oh no! You know you know it's, that minor surgery that. Yeah, that male dogs have at a certain age. He's he goes tomorrow. Oh man, so, so he 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 probably won't be here tonight, guys. He, he's gonna he needs to get ready for this. He may be resting. He really doesn't know it yet, but <laughs> I haven't told him. I think I'll wait till the morning to tell him that that he's headed for the scalpel tomorrow. Uh, so um, uh, throw some prayers up, everybody. Um, I hope uh, he doesn't come home with his cone on his head. You know, for for, uh, for those who are new to, I feel for him. For those who are new to the show, Ike is, uh, he's usually the star of the show. He comes at the end and he's, uh, he's, uh, my parents, uh, uh what is he? Uh, Bernadoodle. Bernadoodle. A Bernadoodle. Yeah. But he's a super cute dog. Uh, apologies to anyone who stayed with us, uh, the whole hour to, to, to get a glimpse of Ike. He'll be here next week, I'm sure. Um, but, but prayers up for him. him. What's that? Ring him down here. I may be able to get him down here, but I hate that for him. I know. I really, really liked it because he likes the camera. He's camera friendly. One thing about <laughs> about him is that he is camera everywhere friendly. we go. He's a mini Bernie Bernie Doodle, and everywhere we go, including the ladies, the trainers tonight, and the groomers, they say that's no mini Bernie Doodle because he's pretty big. Um, I can't seem to ring him up, so um, I just hope next week he's in shape to, you know, come, come back on camera. I can't get a hold of him. He's not answering his phone. So. Uh, Ike's not answering uh, his phone, folks. Uh, he, he will be back next week. Um, we'll, we'll make sure. Uh, we'll have to look at his schedule. Um, he Yeah. His schedule books up quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Pop. Well, uh, guys, we're going to get hey, out of here. thank you. Uh, this has been the Performance Medicine Show. We do this every single Tuesday uh, at 7 p.m. We answer your health and wellness questions. Uh, I'd like to give a, a quick shout-out to, to everyone who put in a question. We really appreciate that. Um, you can send in questions throughout the week either to ben at performancemedicine.net or info at performancemedicine.net. Um, we look at those uh, towards uh, the beginning of, of each week. Uh, so thank you in advance for that. Uh, thank you to uh, Jasmine's been in here, our esthetician in the Knoxville office. Uh, Katie Gagley, our operations is here, uh, our operations manager. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, Doc, man, I appreciate the time. Hey, thank you, Ben. All right, guys, we're out of here. We will be back next week, uh, Tuesday at 7 p.m. for the Performance Medicine Show. We love you. We'll see you next time. Don't go away.
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.